Section twenty of Guy Mannering. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Guy Mannering, or the Astrologer, by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter seventeen. Heaven first, in its mercy, taught mortals their letters for ladies in limbo and lovers in fetters or some author who placing his persons before ye ungallantly leaves them to write their own story pope imitated when mannering returned to england his first object had been to place his daughter in a seminary for female education of established character not however finding her progress in the accomplishments which he wished her to acquire so rapid as his impatience expected he had withdrawn miss mannering from the school at the end of the first quarter so she had only time to form an eternal friendship with miss matilda marchmont a young lady about her own age which was nearly eighteen to her faithful eyes were addressed those formidable choirs which issued forth from mervyn hall on the wings of the post while miss mannering was a guest there the perusal of a few short extracts from these may be necessary to render our story intelligible first extract alas my dearest matilda what a tale is mine to tell misfortune from the cradle has set her seal upon your unhappy friend that we should be severed for so slight a cause an ungrammatical phrase in my italian exercise and three false notes in one of Pasiello's sonatas but it is a part of my father's character of whom it is impossible to say whether i love admire or fear him the most his success in life and in war his habit of making every obstacle yield before the energy of his exertions even where they seemed insurmountable all these have given a hasty and peremptory cast to his character which can neither endure contradiction nor make allowance for deficiencies then he is himself so very accomplished do you know there was a murmur half confirmed too by some mysterious words which dropped from my poor mother that he possesses other sciences now lost to the world which enable the possessor to summon up before him the dark and shadowy forms of future events does not the very idea of such a power or even of the high talent and commanding intellect which the world may mistake for it does it not dear matilda throw a mysterious grandeur about its possessor you will call this romantic but consider i was born in the land of talisman and spell and my childhood lulled by tales which you can only enjoy through the gauzy frippery of a french translation oh matilda i wish you could have seen the dusky visages of my indian attendants bending in earnest devotion round the magic narrative that flowed half poetry half prose from the lips of the tale-teller no wonder that european fiction sounds cold and meagre 
after the wonderful effects which i have seen the romances of the east produce upon their hearers second extract you are possessed my dear matilda of my bosom secret in those sentiments with which i regard brown i will not say his memory i am convinced he lives and is faithful his addresses to me were countenanced by my deceased parent imprudently countenanced perhaps considering the prejudices of my father in favour of birth and rank but i then almost a girl could not be expected surely to be wiser than her under whose charge nature had placed me my father constantly engaged in military duty i saw but at rare intervals and was taught to look up to him with more awe than confidence would to heaven it had been otherwise it might have been better for us all at this day third extract you ask me why i do not make known to my father that brown yet lives at least that he survived the wound he received in that unhappy duel and had written to my mother expressing his entire convalescence and his hope of speedily escaping from captivity a soldier that in the trade of war has oft slain men feels probably no uneasiness at reflecting upon the supposed catastrophe which almost turned me into stone and should i show him that letter does it not follow that brown alive and maintaining with pertinacity the pretensions to the affections of your poor friend for which my father formerly sought his life would be a more formidable disturber of colonel mannering's peace of mind than in his supposed grave if he escapes from the hands of these marauders i am convinced he will soon be in england and it will be then time to consider how his existence is to be disclosed to my father but if alas my earnest and confident hope should betray me what would it avail to tear open a mystery fraught with so many painful recollections my dear mother had such dread of its being known that i think she even suffered my father to suspect that brown's attentions were directed towards herself rather than permit him to discover their real object and oh matilda whatever respect i owe to the memory of a deceased parent let me do justice to a living one i cannot but condemn the dubious policy which she adopted as unjust to my father and highly perilous to herself and me but peace be with her ashes her actions were guided by the heart rather than the head and shall her daughter who inherits all her weakness be the first to withdraw the veil from her defects fourth extract mervyn hall if india be the land of magic this my dearest matilda is the country of romance the scenery is such as nature brings together in her sublimest moods sounding cataracts hills which rear their scathed heads to the sky lakes that winding up the shadowy valleys lead at every turn to yet more romantic recesses rocks which catch the clouds of heaven 
all the wildness of salvator here and there the fairy scenes of claude i am happy too in finding at least one object upon which my father can share my enthusiasm an admirer of nature both as an artist and a poet i have experienced the utmost pleasure from the observations by which he explains the character and the effect of these brilliant specimens of her power i wish he would settle in this enchanting land but his views lie still farther north and he is at present absent on a tour in scotland looking i believe for some purchase of land which may suit him as a residence he is partial from early recollections to that country so my dearest matilda i must be yet farther removed from you before i am established in a home and oh how delighted shall i be when i can say come matilda and be the guest of your faithful julia i am at present the inmate of mr and mrs mervyn old friends of my father the latter is precisely a good sort of woman ladylike and housewifely but for accomplishments or fancy good lack my dearest matilda your friend might as well seek sympathy from mrs teacham you see i have not forgot school nicknames mervyn is a different quite a different being from my father yet he amuses and endures me he is fat and good-natured gifted with strong shrewd sense and some powers of humour but having been handsome i suppose in his youth has still some pretension to be a beau garçon as well as an enthusiastic agriculturalist i delight to make him scramble to the tops of eminences and to the foot of waterfalls and am obliged in turn to admire his turnips his lucerne and his timothy grass he thinks me i fancy a simple romantic miss with some the word will be out beauty and some good nature and i hold that the gentleman has good taste for the female outside and do not expect he should comprehend my sentiments farther so he rallies hands and hobbles for the dear creature has got the gout too and tells old stories of high life of which he has seen a great deal and i listen and smile and look as pretty as pleasant and as simple as i can and we do very well but alas my dearest matilda how would time pass away even in this paradise of romance tenanted as it is by a pair assorting so ill with the scenes around them were it not for your fidelity in replying to my uninteresting details pray do not fail to write three times a week at least you can be at no loss what to say fifth extract how shall i communicate what i have now to tell my hand and heart still flutter so much that the task of writing is almost impossible did i not say that he lived did i not say i would not despair how could you suggest my dear matilda that my feelings considering i had parted from him so young rather arose from the warmth of my imagination than of my heart oh i was sure that they were genuine deceitful as the dictates of our bosom so frequently are 
but to my tale let it be my friend the most sacred as it is the most sincere pledge of our friendship our hours here are early earlier than my heart with its load of care can compose itself to rest i therefore usually take a book for an hour or two after retiring to my own room which i think i have told you opens to a small balcony looking down upon that beautiful lake of which i attempted to give you a slight sketch mervyn hall being partly an ancient building and constructed with a view to defence is situated on the verge of the lake a stone dropped from the projecting balcony plunges into water deep enough to float a skiff i had left my window partly unbarred that before i went to bed i might according to my custom look out and see the moonlight shining upon the lake i was deeply engaged with that beautiful scene in the merchant of venice where two lovers describing the stillness of a summer night enhance on each other its charms and was lost in the associations of story and of feeling which it awakens when i heard upon the lake the sound of a flageolet i have told you it was brown's favourite instrument who could touch it in a night which though still and serene was too cold and too late in the year to invite forth any wanderer for mere pleasure i drew yet nearer the window and hearkened with breathless attention the sounds paused a space were then resumed paused again and again reached my ear ever coming nearer and nearer at length i distinguished plainly that little hindu air which you called my favourite i have told you by whom it was taught me the instrument the tones were his own was it earthly music or notes passing on the wind to warn me of his death it was some time ere i could summon courage to step on the balcony nothing could have emboldened me to do so but the strong conviction of my mind that he was still alive and that we should meet again but that conviction did embolden me and i ventured though with a throbbing heart there was a small skiff with a single person oh matilda it was himself i knew his appearance after so long an absence and through the shadow of the night as imperfectly as if we had parted yesterday and met again in the broad sunshine he guided his boat under the balcony and spoke to me i hardly knew what he said or what i replied indeed i could scarcely speak for weeping but they were joyful tears we were disturbed by the barking of a dog at some distance and parted but not before he had conjured me to prepare to meet him at the same place and hour this evening but where and to what is all this tending can i answer this question i cannot heaven that saved him from death and delivered him from captivity that saved my father too from shedding the blood of one who would not have blemished a hair of his head that heaven must guide me out of this labyrinth enough for me the firm resolution that matilda shall not blush for her friend my father for his daughter nor my lover 
for her on whom he has fixed his attention. End of chapter 17